Again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord again this morning amongst God's people. No greater gift other than our salvation to be able to gather freely, to be able to gather together in worship and be able to read and study the Word of God together. Well, if you would, let's go to Romans chapter 11 once again this morning. Romans chapter number 11, and we'll be dealing with the subject this morning of the goodness and severity of God. The goodness and severity of God. I want you to notice with me that verse in which we get our subject this morning. Of course, we'll be expounding the scriptures around these verse, this verse today. But notice verse 22, Paul writes these words. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Now we understand from this verse that Paul, when he talks about the severity of God falling on the Jews, the severity that fell upon them, those that were cut off uh, from the root. But then there is a warning, he says, in that same severity towards the Jews, he says, but toward thee, or Gentiles, goodness. But he gives a very sobering reminder about the goodness and the severity of God by that expression, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Uh, To cut throughout Scripture uh, most times has a very negative implication. To be cut off, to be cast off, to be cast away, of course, gives the implication to be removed from something, uh, in most cases, that was good. Something that was meant to bring a benefit or a blessing. Uh, We know that the nation of the Jews, primarily the Jewish stock, if you will, those who were of the seed uh, of Abraham, uh, they believed that that was all they needed, was to be the seed. They thought all we need to be is of the ethnic Jews. And yet it was those branches that were cut off from the very root. It was those branches that were cast off. Now, we've been learning throughout this study in Romans 11 that not every person of Israel was cast off. Not every individual Jew was cast away. But there's no question that by the blinding and the hardening, by the divine hardening of God, uh, some were indeed cut off. But Paul's been reminding us that even their cut off and their casting away is not permanently. In other words, or permanent rather, in other words, we're not to expect that there will not be any Jews saved, that there will not be any of Israel saved. But there is a very sobering warning. And verse 22 really introduces us to the Scripture and the verses around it, which is a great warning about how we judge other people's standing, how we judge other people, and instead of dwelling on people's unworthiness or dwelling on their being sadly cut off, We're called to think and consider God's goodness to us. In other words, the amount of God's severity and rightful severity that God could do to a sinful, wicked world like this is unmeasurable. We we couldn't find a limit to how severe could God be. And we could dwell on that. We could dwell on how... God should be more severe towards this group of people. God should be more severe towards this nation. God should be more severe. Paul says, don't dwell 
on God's severity towards others, but dwell on His goodness towards you. Oftentimes, that's our grand mistake. We don't dwell enough on God's goodness to us. We think about His severity, and sadly, some of us in Reformed Baptist circles are accused of always dwelling on the negative. And if they truly understood what Reformed theology is and what we truly believe, that's, that couldn't be farther from the truth. We actually are dwelling on the goodness of God because of what we know that we are, what we know that we deserve. So when you dwell on the goodness of God, you can't dwell on the goodness of God without thinking upon His severity. Paul says, I don't want you to use this as a reason to be prideful. I want you to use this as a reason to thank God for His goodness towards you. So to think and to treat those who are cast off and to do it with pride, Paul is warning, I want you to consider something. And we're going to deal with this this morning. He said, I want you to consider the root. I want you to consider who those branches are attached to. I want you to remember not the ones that are cast off, but I want you to remember those Jews and those of Israel who were faithful to God. Those who did continue in the truth. Remember, there are covenants in the Old Testament that were given by God that cannot be broken. We cannot think about Scripture without thinking about God's covenants. And sometimes we forget the covenants. It's something that we probably don't spend enough time thinking about the promises God makes. But when God makes a covenant and a promise, He's going to keep that promise. Man's reaction or response is not going to change the covenant. If God promised to do it, He's going to do it. Remember, there are are those who are of faithful Israel. There are those who are, were faithful. And Paul says, I want you to dwell on God's goodness, but in order to dwell on God's goodness, you must remember God's severity. So we have to know that the very blessing that we experience today as Gentiles is because of a covenant. It's because of a covenant. Never, ever, ever has it been about your worthiness. Never will it be about your worthiness. It will always be about God's covenant towards those who would believe. So Paul gives some very direct, and I think there's a natural outline in this text this morning. We see in verse number 16, Paul writes these words, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Now, this first heading dealing with these verses, 16 through 18, really is Paul's instruction and admonition to the Gentiles to not boast against the branches, or boast not against the branches. Paul is changing a metaphor, changing it, using a different metaphor by talking about the first fruits. Paul mentions these first fruits, these lumps and these roots, and first fruits throughout the scripture refer to the offerings that were brought into the temple in the Old Testament. A simple way to remember this is the first fruits were the initial blossoms or the first of the crop, the first of that which uh, was sprung forth. It was considered the best. 
If you bring forth the first fruits, you're bringing forth the best of that tree, the best of that, uh, that plant. But the whole crop, because of the first fruits, was then consecrated as being sacred unto the Lord. So there's the first fruits, but then there is the reality that everything is a part of that first fruit, then gets set apart as being sacred. The lump, of course, is an analogy. We talked about this even in our study in Matthew. And it's an analogy for the leaven that's placed in bread. Now, a small amount of leaven was placed into a small piece of bread so that it made the whole loaf of bread to rise. That whole lump, that whole loaf now, because of that leavening agent that's put into it, the whole lump now becomes sacred unto God. You see, there's something being introduced into it. Paul also uses a tree metaphor. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So if you, as the branches, are connected to that root, then not only is the root holy, but the branches that are connected to that root are holy. The branches are only made holy by their connection to the root. The branches are then considered sacred. So you see the three illustrations. Something has to be added into it to consecrate it, to make it holy and sacred unto God. Paul is using that in these metaphors to deal with the subject that's at hand. Now you'll notice verse 16 tells us, if these things are so, then the lump is holy, the root is holy, so are the branches. So then he takes us into verse 17, which says, Paul now presses this tree analogy further. He says, I'm going to go further with this. He says, and if some of the branches, now the branches are, of course, a reference specifically to the Jews that were broken off. Okay, so he says that if some of these branches are broken and thou, Gentile, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. Now notice the grafting in process to the Gentile. This is key. And with them became a partaker or a part or and partakes of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. In other words, these branches that are being grafted in were not branches by nature. They were grafted in, and in order for them to be grafted in, there were branches that were cut off so that the Gentiles could be grafted into that olive tree. They were not part of it by nature. But Paul's key here is the connection, and the value is not in the branch, it's the root. The root is the connection. That's what makes the branches holy and sacred. You think about Jesus' use of the term, I am the vine. You are the branches. The branches do not exist by themselves. Any tree in, on this property, if I go out and I take a branch off and I saw a branch off, that branch is, that, at that point, that branch is dead. Now it still has some life running through it because of its connection to the initial root, but it's dead. There is no branch that has life in and of itself. Paul is using these metaphors to remind them, here's the very reason why you were grafted in. By God's severity towards the Jews who were cast off, 
my goodness, God's goodness is being demonstrated to you by being grafted into a tree that was not yours by nature. Now, throughout Scripture, we also see that there is the use of the word fatness. Fatness in the Scripture is actually a very positive thing. It is to be overflowing with the goodness of God. The olive tree, a very important part of biblical history. These broken off branches, Paul clearly is showing us in verses 17, that these broken off branches were the disobedient Jews, the ones who stumbled, the ones who were cut off from the promises of God. Now, when branches were removed, even in biblical times and even in our day, most often what is done with those branches, those branches are cast into the fire and they're burned away. There are some of those Jews that were cast off. They were cast into the fire never again to be grafted back into that tree. Now, the metaphor focuses on the reality of the importance of the tree, specifically the olive tree. Much of Old Testament Israel's economy and well-being relied upon the olive tree. This was not just something that was, uh, if we need it, we need it. If we don't, we don't. It was crucial to the people. This olive tree produced what we commonly know know as olive oil. That olive oil was one of the most important products in the entire land. If you said, what's more important? Is that the most important oil in our land today? We would say, well, no, we could live our whole life without olive oil. But in Old Testament Israel, you really couldn't. You were dependent upon the oil. It was a precious oil. It was valuable. But also, an interesting fact about the olive tree is that it's also considered to be one of the most durable of all trees. And the reason that it is, is because its roots are known to grow the deepest. Those roots go deep, and it is not easy to remove, and it's not easy to kill. So Paul wants them to understand, here is why you are a partaker of the root and the fatness because of the cutting off of those branches that allowed you to be grafted in. Now, for those who truly understand their salvation, it should go without saying, that should lead us completely away from any boasting at all. If you're at this time still now saying, I think I should boast in my salvation and my inclusion in the things of God, you've already missed it. Now, Paul gives us a word and an expression of he's anticipating that boasting is still going to take place. He says, boast not against the branches. But notice that little addition there. But if thou boast. I'm going to tell you from my own testimony this morning, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you have at some point boasted of your salvation at some point in your life. You've told God how valuable you are. You've told God how God's work cannot go on without you. How that you may just be God's greatest servant. And you say, boy, that seems awful prideful. I don't think I ever spoke that way. You probably thought it. You probably at one time or another in your life, maybe not recently, 
That would be the branches boasting of something that they can't boast in. Because the branch does not have any value in it. It only had the value as it was attached to the olive tree. But Paul says, if you boast, I want you to remember this. And how powerful is this? Thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. In other words, what Paul is saying, remember that you do not support the root. The root supports you. If the, I don't mean to be silly here, but if the branches could speak to the root of the tree, the branch never says to the root of the tree, I'm the one that gives you life. The root is always screaming out, no, I'm the one that gives you life. And to prove that, cut off the branch and see what happens to you. It is such a simple, profound metaphor that Paul is using. And yet, we all still struggle in this area of boasting. And if you say you don't boast, you're giving proof that the problem is still there. How many times throughout Scripture does the Bible tell us to humble ourselves? How many times does the Bible tell us to boast not? Is that just for other people or is it for us? Is it because God knows, let me rephrase that, God does know you're going to struggle with humility and you're going to struggle with being boastful. That's why he continues to tell us. And Paul is, he's anticipating that there are going to be some of you that are going to boast about this and you're going to boast about who you are instead of what you have been grafted into. Remember where you came from. You were not a part of the tree originally. Remember, the first oracles of God went to Israel. It was only upon the Israel's rejection that even Paul himself was told, I want you to turn from the, your kinsmen and I want you to now go to the Gentiles and be a light unto them. We are, we are prisoners of recent history. Almost in every aspect of life. We think everything we see now is the way it's always been. Or we have a very convoluted recall of history and we think things were so much better at a certain time. Those good old days. Now maybe there were some things that were better, some things that were easier, but the reality is, is man has always been a sinner. There's never been a point in time when there were no sinners on the earth. Even during the Great Awakenings, there were still sinners. And there always will be sinners. You remember where you came from, he says. But if you boast, remember you don't support the root. The root supports you. And then he goes on in this same line in verse number 19. He reminds them about not being high-minded. He says, thou will say then, if you're boasting, the branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Since the tree here is the picture here, branches that were broken off to graft you in is what you should remember, and that is a humbling thought. I don't begin to fully understand the mysterious work of God's selection and God's election and choosing and God's choice, but I will tell you this, that in this God's economy of what's happening here, this breaking off of branches and this casting away into the fire is the very entrance in which you have gained 
your attendance into the family of God. Now again, we could dwell on God's severity and say God is not fair in how he's dealt with individual people. God's not fair how he's dealing with nations. But do you know that that's not really our place? There's nowhere in Scripture that we're told to question and counsel God. But what are we told to do repeatedly in the Psalms? To think on God's goodness. But when we think of His goodness, we think of His severity and the mercy in sparing us. The goodness of God and the severity of God go hand in hand together. There are people today that only want to hear about God's goodness. How can God be good if you don't know what you've been spared from regarding His severity? How do you know what's good if you don't know what's bad? How do we know the right way if we don't know the wrong way? How are we kept from boasting if we're told not to boast? Because it's in our nature to boast and to elevate ourselves. It's a humbling thought that Paul gives here. Verse 20, he says, be not high-minded, but fear. Second heading, verse 20. Paul says, because of their unbelief, right? What a little powerful word. Word. Well, it's not a, not a theological word we think about. We don't think about the word well being in the same category as sanctification, justification, glorification, mortification. Well, Paul just simply, it's a connector word. And Paul says, well, because of unbelief, they, the Jews, were broken off. But watch, there's the severity, here's the goodness, and thou standest by faith. Where does faith come from? It's the gift of God. How many of you for many years thought you were the author of your faith? Therein leads to a lot of doctrinal problems. Paul said in Ephesians, faith is the gift of God. He says you are standing in the faith that God has given you. And the reason that the Jews fell was because of unbelief. And he says, as a result, be not high-minded, but fear. Now again, if Paul wasn't concerned and God wasn't worried about us boasting, now in a few verses, he's told us not to boast, and now he also has to remind us, don't be high-minded. We've heard the expression, high-brow churches, that it's... Pardon the illustration. It's meant to look, look down. Look above with our intellectual instruction and kind of look you up and down and think, yeah, you're not anything close to me. It's high church. It's high-minded. It's to have an elevated opinion of yourself. Again, this comes natural. Do you know children have a high-minded view of themselves? Children are the most selfish creatures on the planet. I don't mean that as an insult. It's just truth. Now, they don't know better when they're very small. But how many of those very small children who were very high-minded about themselves and very, very self-centered become high-minded, self-centered adults? Oftentimes because parents have taught them to be high-minded. God never says in the Bible, be high-minded. He actually only says one time that you can boast in something. 
And Paul says it in Galatians. You boast in the cross. Because when you boast in the cross, you're completely out of the equation. You have nothing to boast in. Be not high-minded, but what? Fear. Paul anticipating again what the Gentiles might think. Wow, those shameful Jews. Those shameful Jews that had the promises of God, but they rejected them. And here we are, these beautiful, valuable Gentiles. We've accepted them. And now because of our own faith, we are God's chosen people. That's what Paul had in mind. No, he says the only reason you're standing and the only reason you're not cast off into the fire is because of the gift of faith I've given you. Where is the boasting then? Where is the high-mindedness? You can't be high-minded and you can't boast because you're only standing because I'm making you stand. I've given you the faith to stand. Again, Notice there is a, this is one continuous thought. Verse 20 goes into verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches. Now who were the natural branches? The Jews. Take heed or beware lest he also spare not thee. After Paul tells them don't stand in pride, Paul then reminds him in verse 21 through 24, back to our subject, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. So verse 21 and verse 22 go together. The word behold is another giant theological word like the word well. Behold, in all of this, look, be warned, pay attention, look at the goodness and the severity of God in this illustration. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare thee not. Somehow, again, anticipating a resistance to this, Paul anticipates that the Jews who were cast off would be viewed by the Gentiles as it's not possible for any Gentile now to be cast off or cut off because God only did this to the Jews. Let me assure you, sadly and and sober in a sober manner there are gentiles that are cut off as well cutting is to remove from the blessing in this analogy this metaphor paul says cutting off from the root you should never take this to mean that all gentiles everywhere are going to be saved just like you should not assume all jews are going to be saved See, sadly, there's people who believe one way or the other. There are people that believe all of, all of Israel ultimately. They take Scripture to mean all of Israel ultimately is going to be saved, not only nationally, but all individual Jews just because they're Jews. There are people that actually believe and teach that. But that's not, that's not biblical. There are those who are cast off. Why are they cast off? Because of unbelief. Gentiles that are cast off and cut off are cut off and cast away for what? unbelief. So don't get the idea that God's only doing and dealing with the Jews this way. He's also going to deal with you who don't continue in this goodness and who do not stand. Stand by what? The faith which God gave you. Just as God cuts off the branches of Israel, he will cut off 
unbelieving Gentile branches. If God didn't spare the natural branches, why would you get the idea that God's going to spare you? Universal salvation suggests, which is wrong, but it suggests that God's not going to cut off any branches. It's not going to cut off any branches by his own doing or by man's doing. It's ultimately just, you know, we hear all these things. We have all these warnings in the Bible, but God ultimately at the end is going to say, you know what? Y'all tried. Y'all gave your best bet. So there's a place reserved in heaven for you. Again, there's no scriptural warrant for that. Universal salvation is not taught anywhere in Scripture. Universal salvation of all of Israel is not taught, just as universal of every Gentile is not taught. So Paul again says, therefore, consider the goodness. Consider God's severity on those who fell and consider the goodness that he showed towards you. If you continue in his goodness, you'll continue to know and experience that goodness Otherwise, what is the consequence if you don't? Verse 22, as we read, you or thou also shalt be cut off. So we are to think about the goodness of God. And by the way, it is an incredible, amazing, immeasurable goodness. Let me just challenge you to think, how many times this week did you think on the goodness of God? Once, twice, I'm not looking for a number. I think you get, you get what I'm saying here. How often should you think about the goodness of God continually? You mean think about the goodness of God when I don't feel like it? Absolutely. Probably more so then. You mean the goodness of God when I'm not, I'm not what I, I'm supposed to be? Absolutely. Probably more importantly then. What if, I'm, what if I'm feeling particularly spiritual today? <laughs> Certainly then. Maybe more so. You see, we have this bad habit of thinking on the goodness of God only when things are going wrong instead of thinking how, God is, how good God is when we are in our pride-filled, boasting moments of just how valuable we are to God. We got to think about his goodness in sparing us from the severity that he should have poured out on us. Folks, if you ever get to the place where you think you didn't deserve hell, you are in an extremely dangerous position. If you ever get to the place where you think God owes me this, you are in a dangerous spiritual condition. God owes me an explanation. God, I deserve to know what God is doing. No, you do not. Who has been his counselor? None. What is the judgment of being cut off? That is God's severe judgment. Severity of God falls upon the wicked, unbelievers. It's an all-consuming fire, just like the branches that are thrown into the brush pile. They are cut off. But then notice Paul says in verse 23, and they also. Now who is the they? That In that particular context, that's the Jews. Paul returns back to the Jews. And they also, 
if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Israel, the Jews, are able to be grafted back in again if they will come in belief. So remember we've been saying that God has a remnant of Israel that even though nationally, for the most part, they are blinded, there is coming a day when their eyes will be opened, they will be given eyes to see, ears to hear, and they will be grafted back into that tree. Verse 24, For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, the Jews, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Question mark. How, like, how much more likely is it for God to graft back in the Jews who were of the natural branches and put them back in? How much more likely is that than grafting you in who were not part of the tree by nature? It's a simple compare and contrast. So why would you get the idea that you're more valuable as a Gentile than you are to the Jews? You're not even part of the natural branch. It's really a beautiful picture of the contrast between God's goodness and God's severity. Paul is showing here about not just a possibility, but the probability that there is coming a day, according to the promises and prophecies of God, when the Jews and Israel, the remnant, will be converted. But he says, I want you to think upon the thing that was most unlikely. The thing that was most unlikely was you as a Gentile being grafted in at all. That was the unlikely outcome. That's what leads us to think upon God's goodness. If the Gentiles, which were a kind of wild branch, were grafted into an olive tree, which is contrary to its very nature, how much more shall those Jews be who are part of the nature be grafted back in? The mystery of us being grafted into a tree that we originally and formally did not belong is truly a humbling thought. And it again proves us again and again and again proves to us that God cannot fully and finally be done with Israel. Because if He is fully and finally done with Israel, it has spiritual eternal complications and implications for our very salvation. If I throw Israel all the way and I say God is totally done with Israel in every way, shape, or form, I have nothing left because now God has lied in some of his covenants. And if God's lied in a single covenant, in a single instance, your salvation that you proclaim and claim today is worthless. It's all dependent upon what God has done with Israel that you're even a part of the family of God. Again, do we condone Israel and say, look, we're happy they're sinners and we're happy they're blinded? No. Well, we're praying for it just like we pray for a Gentile who's not saved. We pray that their eyes would be opened, but we have the promise that God one day is going to open the eyes of a remnant of Israel. So he's not fully and finally done with it. So I hope this morning we will truly think upon his goodness, but I hope that we'll not think about his goodness without thinking about his severity in how he has dealt with us as well. Next week, we'll begin the last section of Romans 11. Most likely, we'll break this up into two parts. So if you like to read ahead, and I encourage you to do this, 
Uh, we will primarily deal with verses 25 uh, down through verse number uh, 32. And so Paul is, again, these chapter divisions, of course, were put by our translators, uh, but it kind of breaks these last two weeks up into two, two different thoughts. And really the last part of the scripture we'll deal with the following week uh, is a doxology of sorts, uh, verses 33 through 36, that after all that Paul says, it ought to lead us to a doxology of thanksgiving for who God is and what God has done. Amen. All right, well, let's, 